Father, we are about to dive into your word, and we ask that um, if through that time of worship our hearts have not been prepared, that you would prepare them now, that you would allow us to see what you have to say to us, Lord. Allow me to get out of the way. Uh, We don't want this to be a message from Lucas. We want this to be a message from you. And so allow us to be impacted by what you say in your word and give us the courage, the boldness we need to live it, to be it. Otherwise, this is uh, for, for naught, Lord. We just want to uh, respond to you when you call us, Lord. We ask that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thanks for those of you who are here. Glad you're here. Um, we do want you to grab a Bible, so if you didn't bring one, I mean, this is our life manual, right? This is God's instructions to us, and this is what, this is what we um, gather around. All of our worship is based on it. All that we do is based on it. And for the next few minutes, as, we, as I share from God's Word, I want you to see that it's from there. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. And so if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can pluck one of those. And Matthew is the first book in the second half, the New Testament. You can use the index in the front. Okay. Now, as we're going through Matthew, we just realize, I think more so than I initially realized when I, when I said, okay, let's, let's walk through the book of Matthew. I mean, Matthew just slices and dices. I mean, he, he is, uh, he's not pulling any punches. Um, you know, Matthew uh, wasn't a very religious dude before Jesus changed his life. And so he just goes after it and explains to you how Jesus came on the scene and just you know, turned everything upside down. And it really resonates with my spirit. Um, I don't know about you, if you've ever been in a place where sometimes you've been there so long and you've been doing the same thing for so long and you get into a routine so easily, and then one day you just step back and go, what am I doing here? Have you ever done that? <laughs> Sometimes you might be at work, and uh, you know, you, I've, I've been in jobs like that where you're, you're doing a lot of things, and you're doing the little things that you're supposed to be doing, but then you stop and go, what, what is the big picture here? Like, what, are, well, what am I doing here? Um, I'm like that with my kids sometimes. You know, we, we have our routines, and uh, we have the things that we do with our kids, and they have their sports, and they have school, and you have homework, and then we have to make sure we get the assignments, and parents check the homework, stick it in the bag, you know, hang it on the thing, make sure it's ready, their clothes are ready for the next day. Um, okay, granted, Tina's doing most of that. Tina's doing most of that. I watch, though. I watch and make sure that Tina's... No, okay. Well, maybe. Whatever. Sometimes I, I do. I, I don't know if this is bad. I, sometimes I sit there, and I look at my kids, and I'm like what are we doing with these kids? You know, like I close my eyes and open them and Raquel's like 18. <laughs> it's like, you know, it, I mean, they grow so fast and it's like, what, time out for a second. Like, what are we doing with these kids, right? What are we doing here? What's this all about? Because the details are important. Feeding them breakfast and making sure they're dressed appropriately. Oh, it's gym day today. That's another, you know, make sure you have your gym shoes on and we get them out the door and get them to school. And then they come home, how was it? What did you do? What's your homework? Check in. I mean, those details are important. But it's easy to be so caught up in those details that we just go from breakfast to homework to lunch to the next breakfast. And, and there's no sense of, like, where are we going with all this? 
When my kids are ready for college, what do I want them to be? Who, what kind of people do I want them to be so they can go out into the world and I'm not sweating bullets at home like, oh my goodness, they're in college. You know, I want to be like, man, we're sending someone to, to be something, somewhere. There's a purpose to it. And isn't it easy to be like that at church? You know what I mean? We, we have our routines and those are good routines. Those are biblical routines. And we have our little prayer service in the beginning and before that, the worship team was practicing, right? And then after the prayer time, we, we shake hands and we greet each other. Then we enter into a time of, of worship. And then a guy stands up here for maybe sometimes a little too long for somebody. I don't know, you know? And, then, and then, we, then we shake hands again and then we get in our cars and then we go on to our regular Sunday schedule, which apparently is going to be included DVR football games now. And so, I mean, we have our routines and they're okay but you ever stop and just pull back a second and just go, you know, what, what are we all doing here? What, what are we all doing here? And it's, I think it's appropriate to ask that question. Um, you may have grown up in church and the routine is so familiar that maybe you don't even ask that question anymore, right? And it's the newcomers that come in and they're kind of like, what, what's going on? And it's easy for us to be like, well, here's the routine, join in the routine, but we're not, we're not addressing like, what is the big picture well one of the radical things about jesus when he came on the scene is he kind of burst open all that you know i'm not here to just fit into the regular routines of things i'm not here to fit into a a box of religion i'm here to show you what it's really all about and i'm not trying to erase all those details guys but i've come to fulfill them i've not come to erase the past but to be what all of the past has been pointing toward and it's radically different than just the the humdrum routine of spirituality. Jesus came on the scene and said, I'm about purpose and mission. He wasn't anti-religion. He just didn't want empty religion. He wanted religion that was about purpose and mission. Right? Can we say that together? Jesus was about purpose and mission. Right? Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 9. He continues... Uh, breaking through walls, crossing barriers, ticking people off, and um, doing surprising things, which, you know, if you really were a student of the scriptures back then, you wouldn't have been surprised, but they were stuck in the routines, and he did surprising things, and one of them was calling the guy who wrote the book that we're reading, Matthew. Look at that in verse 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. That's awesome. Man, I wish I could do that, right? Go to Starbucks, order, I don't drink coffee, order like one of their $80 teas, and then say, hey, what's your name? My name's Frank. Hey, Frank, follow me. And then Frank takes off his apron and just follows me, right? What is that? I mean, there's just something with the, he wasn't just a man. He was, he says, follow me. And Matthew, sitting in a tax booth, not paying taxes, he was a tax collector. Everybody hated this guy. So Starbucks is probably a bad example. I should have, you know, maybe the DMV. I don't know. Hey, cranky person, follow me. Oh, you know, that'd be cool, right? Okay. Verse 10. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. As Jesus reclined at the table at the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
Again, tax collectors, these hated people, they were Jews that were hired by the Romans to tax their own people, and then they were allowed to skim off the top. So tax you a little extra, and they're doing it to their own people, and they were just, they were hated, they were hated. Um, Tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, the religious people, the robe-wearing, routine, uh, empowering religious people, saw this, and they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. That's a little disrespectful. <laughs> Go back and do your homework. Those scrolls you wear on your head, how about pop it out and read it one time? Okay. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now this next little paragraph gets real weird, okay? Because Jesus uses metaphors, and it's just like I've been racking my brain. What is he talking about here? Even though some of us, you know, we've heard this a lot. Listen to this. Then the disciples of John came. Now these aren't the bad guys. These are the good guys. Remember, John is Jesus' cousin. He was a little weird, wore weird stuff, ate locusts, you know, baptized people in a dirty river. But he was, he was followed, and he was a precursor to Jesus. So this, this guy, he's on the good side. He's a, he's a good guy. His disciples came, and they have a question to Jesus. They said, why do we and the Pharisees fast? You know what fasting is. You skip meals for spiritual purposes. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And the Old Testament commanded us to fast, and we're all fasting, but you guys aren't fasting. The Old Testament, the Bible tells us, all these books right here, they teach us to fast, and you're not doing it. I mean, they're not anti-Jesus. It's just an honest question. I don't get it. You're not doing the routines that we're, we're doing. How come you're not doing it? And then Jesus answers this way. Verse 15. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So basically he says, um, You guys are like the wedding attendants. And I'm the bridegroom. I'm the one you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for me to come. Part of fasting is that longing for the bridegroom. You're longing for him. You want to be with him so bad. You want to, you want to, you want to be in communion with him so badly that you fast out of desperation. I'm so desperate for you. I'm so desperate for you, God, that I'm going to skip a meal. I need you more than I need a sandwich. I need you more than I need to fill my stomach. That's how badly I need you. That's what fasting is for. So he's saying, well, why would they fast? so badly needing me, I'm right here. I'm finally here, and you guys don't get it. Okay, then two, two strange metaphors. Here we go. He says, verse 16, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Okay. The the, the metaphors are simple. What do they mean? Okay. What are the metaphors? You have an old garment. You've washed it hundreds of times. It's already done the shrinking stuff, right? It's not going to shrink anymore. It's been washed. There's a hole in it. You take a cloth, a piece of cloth from uh, a fabric that has not been shrunk yet, you take that and try to patch it. Next time you wash it, that patch shrinks and makes a greater tear. Okay, that, that's, his, that's the metaphor. 
You have an old garment and a new patch. That new patch will not work with the old garment. You can't just take a new patch and stick it on the old garment and go, okay, there we go. It's just a little piece and just add it to the old piece and now you've got a good garment. No, that doesn't work. They would put uh, wine into wineskins so that the wine would ferment. And as it ferments and the gases build and the pressure builds inside that wineskin, because the leather is new and stretchy, it would work. But now when you finish that wine and you get wine you want to ferment again and put it in there, that, that wine skin can't keep stretching forever. Now it'll crack. So if you have new wine, you need a new wine skin to put it in. If you put it in there, you're going to lose the wine skin, you're going to lose the wine, and everything is lost. Right? Okay, that makes sense. What is he talking about? Man, I kid you not. I'm, I'm looking commentaries after commentaries, and all they do is explain what I just said. Well, the wineskins were, you know, they used to make them of goat skins. And I'm like, I don't care what kind of skin it was. What does he mean, right? What is it referring to? If, if my daughter comes home and I'm like, clouds are fluffy against the backdrop of blue. Now do your homework. She'll be like, what? What, you don't get it? You don't know what clouds are? Yeah, she knows what clouds She doesn't know what I'm referring to, right? So to get what Jesus is saying here, it's not enough to get the analogy of the cloth or the analogy of the wineskin. What's he referring to? Well, the disciples are saying, here's the old way we used to do things. We were commanded to fast, and so we fast. We do things in a, in a certain way. The, the Pharisees were like, we don't eat with certain kinds of people, and now you're doing that. And these guys are like, well, I guess we could get why you're doing that, but we don't get why you're not fasting. I think Jesus' point is simple. All of what was old was pointing towards what was new, and now that the new is here, you're trying to stick me in, into the compartment of what was old. This religion, laws, everything is about do's and don'ts. You know, as, as a parent, you need to give your kids rules, right? That is not a good parenting technique to be like, I just want them to discover their own path. They're, they're, they're discover you into insanity is what they're going to do, okay? Um, they're the ones that are kicking and screaming. They're the ones that are intolerable children because the parents feel like the only way to love them is to give them no rules. Well, that's not good, Right? You have to give them rules. However, if you're on the other end of the spectrum and all you give them is rules and you never explain the spirit of the law, you're not explaining to them why you have these rules. All you care is that you lay down the law, they obey the law, and that's it. Those are the kids that grow up and leave church when they go to college. Because all it was was about do's and don'ts and they don't get, what are we doing here? It's a, it's a box of religion, it's a frame, it's a structure, but it's not filled with anything. It's a house, but it's not a home. It's walls and fences, but there's, there's nothing, there's no grand purpose for it. You explain to the kids, here's why, because that's not loving when you do that. And God is love, and we're created in His image, and that's how we're supposed to be. It's not to get up on a soapbox and, and preach at the kid. You're trying to explain, why do you not steal from your friend? Why, why is integrity important? And you explain why, so that over time they get it, they get it. They understand why those rules are in place. Jesus is saying, you guys are all about these rules and stuff, but you don't get the purpose. If you did, you wouldn't be fasting while I'm present, or at the very least, you'd understand why my disciples aren't fasting when I'm with them. Fasting is about longing for me. Fasting is not about just accomplishing religion. You get it? You guys are so busy about accomplishing religion, you're missing the point of it. Why are we here? Why are we doing all this? Me, the Messiah, the one that we're waiting to come and fix all of life, all of the world's problems. It's, it's Jesus. 
You know, I get on Facebook and some people are so religious about these darn, you know, Republican or Democratic parties. Like, that's their religion. You know, like Obama or, okay, Romney or, or maybe just anti-Obama. And it's like this, this, there's so many posts about that. I'm like, what, what is the point of all this? None of these guys can fix anything. <laughs> you know, none of these guys can produce real solutions. We have to point people back to the only one that can solve stuff, right? Now, I'm not saying politics don't matter, but it, when that's the house, that's all the framing, and that's all it's about, there's no, there's no fulfillment in that because Jesus is left out. You guys are doing religion, he's telling them. You're doing religion, and you're, you're leaving me out. And the only way you want to incorporate me is you want me to be just that new little patch. That's a cool, nice little patch. And just stick me onto the old system. I'm reversing. I'm, I'm taking this whole thing inside out. So Jesus doesn't want to cancel religion. Doesn't want to cancel it. He doesn't want to say, there's no more rules. There's no more laws. I'm dying on the cross. You can do whatever you want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm here so that I can purchase something for you. The Holy Spirit is going to indwell you and make you into the kind of person that gets it, that gets it. When you see somebody in need, you don't have to go, wait a minute. There's a rule in Scripture that says I need to be compassionate. You see someone in need and then you just are compassionate, right? You don't go, ah, love the Lord your God. Oh, and your neighbor is yourself. Okay, right. Okay, let me help this person. Okay, check. Neighbor is myself. Okay, I got that. No. But the rule still counts, but when you see that person, you're not thinking, I need to obey this rule. You're looking at that person going, man, I need to help that person. Why? Because I'm changed from the inside out to help that person. That's Jesus' point. That's Jesus. Don't go backwards, guys. Go forward. Now I'm showing you what religion is supposed to really be about. I change your life. I change your life. I don't just help you with your routines. I completely change your life. Now those routines have greater meaning greater purpose, greater fulfillment, and you understand why we do all these things, it's to worship Christ. It's to worship Christ. Why do we sing our songs and gather on Communion Sunday? We pass the plate. Why do we do all the things that we do? To worship Christ. And so in the beginning I said Jesus was about purpose and mission. What's, this, what's the purpose of everything? What's the purpose of all of this? To worship Him. It's to worship. Why do we fast? It's to worship Him. It's because I long to be with Him. Um, I'm very much in love with my wife, and I don't feel corny saying that. So, guys, take notes, right? Uh, I'm in love with my wife, okay? Now, I'm not real super corny. I have to admit, I'm not, like, in public, I'm not super like, oh, hey, babe, you know, like, munchkin muffin. You know, we don't really have a lot of, like, pet names. Her name's Tina. I call her Tina, you know. Um, but I'm very much in love with my wife, and the, the, the way I know most was when I'm away, right? Um, Every summer, I, for the past three years, I've gone away for two weeks to Massachusetts for some schooling or whatever. And um, during those two weeks, um, I'm in a hotel with, like, no signal. And um, it's, it's hard to talk. So I find as many ways as I can. When I get to school, in class, I'm sorry, maybe this is bad to admit, lecture gets a little bit boring, he's repeating himself. I'm, like, opening up AIM. Hey, hon, how are you doing? You know, are you there? You know, I just, I just want to chat with her. If I find a good signal and, and we're out of class, I try to Skype, you know, get the video chat going. And then when we're out at restaurants and stuff, hey, I got a good signal. I'm sending texts. Hey, just, just nothing. It's just, hey, I, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Oh, you know, the, uh, Elias ate breakfast today. Great. You know, I mean, just meaningless details, but it's just so awesome. You just got that text and the phone ring. It buzzes and I check it because I want to see if it's her, you know. Now, it, it's intense because of the love I have for her. Now, when I'm with her, 
You know, we're not on the couch texting each other. Hey, want to watch a movie? Oh, you don't? Okay. Want to eat? She's right there. Right? So what Jesus is saying is, right now I'm with you guys. Learn from me. Figure out what I'm about. But there's going to come a time when I'm not with you. That's when you pray. That's when you fast. That's when all of the routines become most meaningful because we're pushing after someone that we're not with right now. Now, there's a sense through the Holy Spirit that He's with us, right? But there's also a sense, didn't didn't Paul say, like, to die is to be with the Lord? To die is gain because I'll be with Christ. There's a sense in which we're not with Him. That we're aliens in a strange land right here and our King has not come back yet. He will, but He's not back yet. And so we long for Him. We long for him, and this is, what, this is what causes us to pray, guys. This is what causes us to push after him. We don't have devotionals because we're just robotically going through the Bible in a year. That discipline helps to have the habit. But when you're sitting there and you're going, oh, why, am I, why am I doing this? Why am I reading through Leviticus? I just don't, why am I doing this? Because we're, we're, this, is, this is his word. Right? When Jesus walked around teaching, that's what he taught from, the Old Testament, and, that, and it counts. And, and we're reading it because we want to, it's like the love letter from the person that we're not with, and we just want to read it. And how do we text? How do we communicate? How do we Skype? Well, we pray. You know, if we want to increase the signal of our connection, we fast. You get it? It's desperation for a person, not a religion. It's desperation for Jesus. And he's saying that's, that's what it's all about. That's the purpose. However, I've often asked myself, and it's good to ask yourself, you know, why aren't we with him? Why isn't it the case that once we come to Christ, we just get subsumed, like we just go? Why are we left behind here? There's a couple ways to answer. You know, maybe suffering, we have to suffer and it builds something in us. Okay, but you could just zap me up there and and do whatever you want with me. I mean, there I'll be perfect. There, there, There won't be any sin. So why... Why go through all of life and then one day be with you? Why, why isn't it as soon as I'm baptized, I come up out of the water or, you know, whatever, like give my life to the Lord and then get baptized and at some point there, you know, just take me. Because our purpose is tied with a very particular mission. A mission that wouldn't be accomplished if we weren't here. Right? I'm going to take you to a verse in Isaiah before we look at the rest of this passage in Matthew. Look at this verse, Old Testament about fasting. Okay, what is fasting for? Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. In other words, you're not allowed juice. How come you're not juice? I'm only on water. You know, (laughs) they're like bickering about fasting. Behold, you fast to quarrel and fight. Okay, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. All that praying and fasting, la la la, you know, like I'm not listening to you because you're not doing it right. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? That's a rhetorical question. Yes, this is the kind of fasting I'm choosing. It's a time for you to humble yourself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? In other words, you're mourning, you're mourning, you're, you're lost, you're repentant. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? This is the fast God wants. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break Every yoke. And so right there, he's going, this is about moving away from sinfulness and moving toward holiness, righteousness. You're pursuing Christ. You want to be different than what you were without him, and you want to pursue him to be more like him, right? That's the mission. That's the purpose. That's the worship. But there's also mission involved. Look at the next verse. Is it only your wickedness that you care about? Is it only your yoke of oppression that you care about? Look at the next verse. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry 
and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You can fast and it's a big fat waste of time. You can pray and it's a big fat waste of time. You can go to church and sing songs with the lyrics on the screen and it's a huge waste of time. And God the whole time is going like this. Or you can do those same routines, but because you get it, because you get what it's for, then suddenly God is pleased. Your light will break forth like the dawn. You know, healing comes. God is present. His glory will be your rear guard. He's got your back, right? God suddenly comes in the midst and does a change in you, does a change in the church, does a change in the body, because we get why we're doing these things. And the why is not just the purpose of worship, but it's the mission of reaching people. Back up to that first paragraph we read, and it's the last thing we'll look at, this paragraph, this first paragraph, verses 9 to 13, when Jesus called Matthew. Remember the Pharisees asked him, why do you eat with these kinds of people? You're eating with sinners, you're eating with tax collectors, you're eating with derelicts of society, people that have no religion, they don't fast, they don't pray, they don't care about anything, they cuss, they steal, they, um, they commit uh, fornication, whatever. I mean, they're just sinners, they're publicly sinners, um, they're people that you would not want to be around. So why are you eating with them? And then Jesus says, you don't understand the mission. You don't understand what we're supposed to be doing here. He said, those who are well, verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When you see people that are in need, um, you do it because you've been shown mercy and you want to show them mercy. You don't do it because... I can make a sacrifice for God right here. If I do this, God will be pleased with my religious sacrifice for him. But you don't get mercy. You know, you're not doing it for him for performance. You're doing it because you've been so radically changed that you have to meet these needs in people. And yes, it does include helping needs, physical needs. You don't just go, hey, I have money to buy you lunch and I see that you're starving, but I'm not really into the social justice stuff, but I will give you a track. See you in heaven, you know. I mean, feed the guy, Right? But nor do we go on the other side and you feed the guy and then you go, well, I was too shy to say anything about Jesus. Well, you just fed him so he could last a little longer before he goes to hell. You've got to talk to them about their eternal purpose, right? But it's mercy that prompts you to do it because you don't just get the purpose of our worship, a purpose of what we're doing here is worship, but that worship is supposed to produce something in us and it's to go find those Matthews, tax collectors, sinners, and bring them in. I think that's the job of all of us. All of us who want to follow Christ, follow Christ's mission. And the purpose of worshiping Him, part of that worship is becoming like He is. And now if you look to the left of you and to the right of you and there's a little space in the pew, that's your mission. That's your mission, to find somebody that's going to sit there. Not to fill up the church, not to be a church that's bigger, you know, so we can have more programs and stuff, which is, those are great blessings. But because people are dying and they're lost, and who has the message, guys? The political campaigns? Who has the message? The school teachers? Who, who has the message of salvation? Who has the message of eternal purpose so that when somebody asks, what, what am I doing here? What is life? What am I doing in all this? I've got the answer. You do have the answer. 
Now, you may not be a, a, a you know, triple doctorate apologist and you can get up there and quote verses and slam everybody in any kind of argument. They're not out there to argue, but you do have the answer. You know it's Jesus. But we're scared, right? We're scared or we're judgmental. Now, their problem in this passage, they were judgmental. Those are sinners. You're not supposed to do that. But if we get it, we go, man, I was there once. Somebody had to tell me something at some point, and I'm here now. And I've got to pay that forward. I've got to be a part of this mission. And so our hope and our prayer, right, at this church is that we would grow, but not because we threw a bunch of flyers out, right? That we would grow, but not because we just manipulated it so that uh, our website is prominent when people Google. I mean, that's great. I love that one. I love that. But we don't just want to do the things and then hope just the people just randomly come. I mean, Jesus went and got them. No, Jesus went and got them. He called them. Now, we don't have that power to be like, follow me. Right? Show up at CFC, 10 o'clock Sunday, and they'll be there because I'm awesome. No, you know. But there has to be that mission, right? There has to be that mission. And we have to start praying, God, who are the people in my life that as I'm worshiping you and my heart is becoming like your heart and your heart is for people, your heart is for the lost, the sinners, the so-called tax collectors of our world, you know, the anti-religious or non-religious people or de, you know, de-churched people, people that were in church and they just got burned. Or they grew up in it and they're just like, this is lame. And then they walked away. Those people too, that God's heart is for them. His, he's not willing that any should perish. And as your heart becomes that, then you're asking God, who are the people in my life that I can talk to? Who are those neighbors that I always walk my dog in front of and I never say anything to them? I mean, it's funny when we watch these awkward invitation videos, but you know, the funniest jokes are funny because they're ironically true. And we feel awkward, like it's awkward. No one wants to talk about religion. No one wants to talk about salvation. But we have to. We have to find a way to build a bridge, build some kind of connection, invite them to church or a function or invite them to a Bible study or, or just to hang out, start get to know them and, and find a way to communicate the message of the gospel. Amen? Right? This isn't the job of the Billy Grahams of the world. I mean, it's the job of the local people reaching local people. And so look at the space next to you in the pew. That's your job. It's my job. All of us together, we want to reach people with people. We don't just want to reach people with flyers. We want to reach people with the one that gave the flyer. Those personal connections that bring people to Christ, not to CFC. Some of you live far away. You're like, my neighbor would never drive all this way. Find out about local churches in your area. Find a good one. Invite them there. You know, we're all brothers and sisters. If you live really far and you know somebody that wouldn't make the commute, but they would go to that one five minutes away, find out about those local churches and get them plugged in. This is about salvation of people. This isn't about building up one local body, right? All right, I want to invite the worship team forward. You know, as we close in worship, we have to pray against two things. Uh, the two things that we need to pray against are, um, you know, judgmentalism, it's easy for us to go, well, that person is so bad, they'll never give their lives to the Lord. That person is so off base, they'll never have a spiritual conversation. Sometimes those are the people that are most desperate, right? And the religious ones are the ones that argue and fight. The ones that are destitute and lost might be surprised that you take the time to take them to lunch and talk to them. The other thing we have to fight is um, fear. 
You know, I'm scared. I'm not going to say the right thing or whatever. Let's pray that God would give us boldness. Even the apostles needed it. Boldness to do the mission. And as we close in worship, let's ask that that would be our heart, that our purpose would be to worship Him, and our mission would be to reach people for Him. Let's stand and worship together.